All right. Well, uh, let me open my Bible here. I enjoyed the time in the Sunday school hour. Sometimes I like Sunday school hours even better than when they give me the, uh, the, the sermon because when you get the sermon, of course, you're competing with all these other things that have to go on. But when you've got Sunday school, man, there's no competition. I've got, I, I got the whole hour to myself. Of course, you know, I do have a watch. But missionaries, we only use our watch to tell the date. Look, it's still the 4th. Why are you getting antsy? You know, it's like, I don't understand, you know. And uh, we, we have this concept of being on time as well as being late. And overseas sometimes, you know, people just, when they finally get there, they're there. You know, and they still expect church. So you're supposed to, got, you got to keep going. So church overseas becomes kind of a marathon at times. And uh, we get used to that. So when we come back to the States, you've got to remind ourselves, wait a minute, this is where everybody has a watch and they think about schedules and, and all that sort of thing. Have you heard the one about the uh, pastor? He had to be absent, so he called a friend of his and said, listen, can you come preach for me? I'm going to be missing on this certain date. And he said, by the way, since you were there last night, he said, we have a new sanctuary. It's very, very modern. You'll really be surprised. So uh, he came there early, and uh, sure enough, he never stepped into a sanctuary. It looked quite like that. It was very modernistic. And then even more surprising, when he stepped inside, the senior elder was there waiting for him, uh, and the floor was completely empty. And he thought, well, where are the people going to sit? And he says, don't worry, you will see. Well, in the back, there were two levers, a red one and a green one. So when the people started showing up, the deacons would usher people to the front as if somehow there was a row to sit in, and the guy back there would pull the green lever, and up through the floor came a pew. And so you couldn't choose to sit in the back because it started front to back. You know, you'd have to show up late, you know. So they keep ushering people to the front, pull the green lever, and up comes the next pew. You know, like in the new, the, the guests preach, wow, this is really modern. I've never seen a church like this, you know. Well, the senior elder told him before the service started, he says, by the way, pastor, this church gets out at 12 o'clock. Very serious, you know. And the guest kind of blew that off. He didn't take him too seriously. Well, when he got in the pulpit and he started bringing the men, he kept going and he was going. And then it's 12 and the senior guy back there, you know, he's like holding up his watch and the guy's ignoring him. Now it's five after, now it's 10 after, and he's showing no signs of concluding anytime soon. So the senior elder couldn't take it anymore. So he reached for the red lever, pulled that, and the pulpit went right down through the floor. And so far I've noticed you don't have a red lever. So, you know, maybe after today you'll suggest you might install one. I don't know. Yeah, It's what happens when you get the missionary loose in the pulpit, all right? I promise to let you out before it's the 5th, okay, of December. I'm going to open to a passage in Mark chapter 12 um, and read to you a story probably most of you are familiar with. This is getting near the end of Jesus' life and ministry on earth. Um, and uh, even though this is the season of Advent when we're celebrating Christmas and all, but uh, I hope you'll bear with me on this message. And they came to Jesus in verse 18, says this, Some Sadducees who say that there is no resurrection. By the way, if you've ever studied about them, the Sadducees really didn't believe in signs and wonders. They didn't believe in miracles. They would perfunctorily pray, and we just prayed for various people who are sick and suffering and like that. I hope you prayed believing the Lord was listening. And I hope you prayed believing He cares. And I hope you prayed believing He still has power to heal. Okay, but you can also pray like the Sadducees pray. They go, "Oh dear Lord, we pray you bless," and they don't mean it. 
Okay, that's who they were. So I wish I could say all the Sadducees died 2,000 years ago, but they're still alive today. There are still people like them. Don't really believe much of anything. Okay, they're known more for their doubts and their skepticism than for what they actually believe in. All right, well, they came to Jesus. And uh, they came to him and began questioning him, saying, Teacher, you have to hear a tone of voice they're using because they really have no respect for Jesus. Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves behind a wife and leaves no child, his brother should take the wife and raise up offering, offspring to his brother. There were seven brothers, and the first took a wife and died, leaving no offspring. The second one took her and died, leaving behind no offspring. The third likewise, and so all seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman died also. In the uh, <clears throat> resurrection, meaning they don't believe in it, when they rise again, which one's wife will she be? For all seven had her as wife. Huh? Huh? I added that part, okay? <laughs> My point is that the game of gotcha is very old. It's not a recent phenomena. They think they have got Jesus on the horns of a dilemma. They're trying to embarrass him. They're trying to discredit him. And they think there is no good answer to their question. So, yeah. And how shocked they are to hear the following. Jesus said to them, is this not the reason you are mistaken? That you do not understand the Scriptures or the power of God. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but they are like angels in heaven. But regarding the fact that the dead rise again, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the burning bush, how God spoke to Moses saying, I am, not I was, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are greatly mistaken. So Lord, now we trust for your Holy Spirit to be sent among us to fulfill his ministry, to guide us into all truth. We are eager and ready to hear more from you, Lord. Teach us that we might grow in our knowledge and understanding. In Jesus' name we pray. And every believer said? Amen. 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 All right. I'm going to ask a couple questions. First one's going to be a little more pleasurable to answer than the second. When you were in school, did you ever get back a piece of homework from the teacher or a test or a paper? And the teacher put on the top of your paper, A plus or A plus plus or 100%. Did you ever get, you ever, ever have that? Did you like that? That was nice, right? Did that happen to you? I hope. I hope everybody had that experience at least once. Okay. All right. Now, the other question, and you, I, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, okay? Did you ever have an assignment, and apparently, according to the teacher, you so blew it that when she handed it back to you, there was a big, fat F, you know? Like I said, I'm not asking you to raise your hand, okay? Third question, and this is where probably most of us would raise our hand. Would you say the majority of the things you got back from the teacher were somewhere between those two? 
Like you made a number of B pluses, some C's, maybe a few D's thrown in, you know, but D at least was a passing grade. Can you identify with that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. According to Jesus, you got to get two things right. And if you get both of them wrong, that's the big fat F. Okay? These Sadducees, you know, like I said, they prided themselves on their philosophy. They could talk a good talk, but really their hearts were dry. They weren't close to the Lord. They had spiritual titles so that they were supposed to be respected, and yet really, let me put it to you like this. Sadducees were the priests. One little passage that I don't think ever gets preached on, I did one time, where it says Judas, having betrayed Jesus, now feels remorse. Right? And he goes back to who? The priests with the money they paid him to betray Jesus. And he says, I betrayed innocent blood. And do you, do you remember the response from the priests? They said, what is that to us? Excuse me, you're a priest. What is the job of a priest? They're supposed to help sinners get right with God. Did anybody see iRobot with Will Smith? It was cute, it was interesting, you know, futuristic. There was an image that was brought up several times in the movie about a piece of something like, I don't know if it's the Brooklyn Bridge, but that type of a suspension bridge, and you got this big upright, and here's part of one of the cables, and part going, and a little piece of road held up, but the bridge has been hit by a bomb or something, so there's no connection here, and there's no connection, it's a piece of freestanding bridge. You understand what I'm describing? When you are a priest, and you say to someone who's coming contritely, Humbly to seek repentance, to seek to be made right with Lord. And you say, what is that to us? You're that kind of piece of bridge. You're not connected to God on one side. You're not connected to sinners on the other. What good are you? Right? That's who these guys are. Think, think so high and mighty of themselves to come and question Jesus. And Jesus says, you guys are wrong. And you're wrong not one way. You're wrong two ways. You don't understand the scriptures. And you don't believe in the power of God. I tell you, if our goal as Christians is to aim for the A plus with the Lord, you've got to get both of those right. And you can't just get one or the other right. And I find sometimes it's sort of a pitfall of churches around the world. The place where the Lord sends me is sometimes churches really into power of God, but they hold the scriptures very lightly, if at all. And then you got other places where it's scripture, scripture, like a lot of law, a lot of do's and don'ts. It's very legalistic. And there's not much joy. You don't see any smiles on their faces, you know. But boy, they've got the right doctrine and they've got the right teachings and that, you know. And I'm kind of like, and the Lord sends me into both kinds of places. And I'm like, it, I, some, in some ways, I'm kind of like your car mechanic. Cars can have a variety of problems. They don't always break down the same way, right? Churches have a variety of problems. And they need attention in different ways, right? So I find, I, I, I'm not really that smart. I mean, I admire car mechanics. They, they're, they're brilliant to me. Uh, they know bumper to bumper and up and down. They know everything about how to fix that car. They're great. And me, at times, I get into a situation, I'm kind of like, dear God in heaven, what do I do here? But at least I'm doing the right thing. I'm turning to the Lord who knows what the problem is. 
And then he knows what to do about it. He knows what little part I can play to try and help bring, hopefully, some correction. To make something of a repair. So they come closer to getting the A plus from the Lord. This is what we need. We've got to be a people who understand the Scriptures as well as believe in the power of God. Do you realize there's an illustration of even the early church? And you and I, we we really admire the early church, don't we? I mean, there's a lot to admire about them. But even on one occasion in Acts, I think it's chapter 12, you know, Peter, great, wonderful apostle Peter, he's been captured by King Herod. He's been judged by Herod and he's set an execution day. And the next day is when he's going to have his head chopped off. Right? So Peter is in the prison and tomorrow is his execution. Now, what's the reaction of the church? They're in prayer. I mean, they're... Now, what do you suppose they're praying? Really? What do, you, what, do you think they're praying like that? Oh, dear God, help Peter go to his death tomorrow with dignity. Do you think that's how they're praying? Do you think they're praying and saying, God in heaven, please, you got to do something. Save Peter. Don't let him chop his head off tomorrow. Do you think that's how they're praying? Now, I think that's a great prayer. If I was in prison, I'd like you to be praying for me that way. Okay? Don't pray for me to go to, my, go to the guillotine with dignity or something. I don't want to go with dignity. I'd rather be rescued. So they're praying, God, you got to do something. Well, guess what? The Lord heard that prayer, all those prayers. And he said, you know what? I'm going to do something. And do you know they do not oil the hinges in prisons? Did you know that? They, they want all those metal on metal. Creaking, screeching noises because they want to check. Wait a minute. Is somebody getting out? Right? So we read in Scripture, God sent an angel. I want to ask the Lord, did you really send a flock? Because you had to have other angels busy sticking their fingers in the guard's ears. And putting their hands in front of their eyeballs. These guys are on duty 24-7. And Peter's in the inner prison. And the angel shows up. The chains fall off. Peter thinks he's dreaming. For a while, he doesn't realize it's real. He thinks it's a vision. And the angel, come on, get your cloak, get, get dressed, you know, get up, follow me. You know, and okay, you know, he thinks it's a dream. It's real. It's really happening. And they get pat, and the doors are open. I mean, just screeching doors are open, and the guards are not reacting. And they get past one barrier after another. after, And finally, the door to the prison swings open seemingly by itself. And they're out there and they're walking down the street and they make a turn. And then God said to that angel, okay, come on back to heaven. And the angel disappeared from beside Peter. And Peter blinked once or twice, pinched himself and goes, hey, this is real. I just got set. Wow, wonderful, powerful, miraculous deliverance by the Lord. Amen? Amen. This is what they were praying for. So he goes to the house where he figures, they're probably praying for me. He goes there, and here's this all-night prayer meeting going on, and he's knocking. Hey, guys! Hey, it's me, you know. And the servant girl hears his voice and is so excited, she doesn't open the door. She runs inside and says, Peter, Peter, the one we're praying for, he's standing out the door. And they said, you're crazy. Now, let me get this straight. If you're going to pray, please pray expecting the God of power and might to hear you and do something. He can and He will do things. 
And we need to be a people who believe in the power of God. That's what Jesus said about the Sadducees. They didn't believe really in the signs and wonders and the miraculous. They didn't believe God would give a word to someone. They didn't didn't believe in visions. They, They didn't believe anything that was supernatural. All right? And even in the early church, they're praying for a miracle, but when they get the miracle, they can't bring themselves to believe it. And Peter's still out there knocking. Hey, guys, hello, would you please open the door, you know. And they're in there having a discussion. They, well, maybe it's his angel. <laughs> Finally, someone opens the door. Well, who is that out there knocking? And Peter walks in. <laughs> Even the early church sometimes wasn't really believing in the power of God. As much as we admire them, for they had many signs and wonders. Okay? If they could have trouble believing in the power of God, we're 2,000 years later. We're one-third of the globe away from where all that happened. And so, you know, in America, we got people, we got churches that are very skeptical about talking about signs and wonders, talking about miracles, talking about whether God will actually do something. Hello? He does. He acts. He listens. He delights in the prayers of His people. Please don't just wait till there's a nice Sunday morning service and pastors up here and leading you in a prayer. That's fine, but you need more prayer than that. You need more time where you are alone with the Lord and you're praying about various people and situations and whatever. And please check your heart. Ask yourself if what you're saying and what you're requesting of the Lord that you're also believing He is listening and He is powerful and He is willing to do something for you. Hello? If you want to make an A-plus with the Lord, you've got to believe in the power of God. But then you also have to believe and understand the Scriptures. Oh, by the way, there's a verse before I move on to that. Sometimes I think I'm the only one that reads the whole Bible. And I tripped across something, and when it grabbed my attention, it's in Zephaniah. I thought, man, no one else is preaching this. I mean, who reads Zephaniah besides me? The Lord has a word. This little prophet that has three chapters in the Old Testament. And when this jumped off the page at me, I thought, whoa, that's pretty sobering, Lord. Zephaniah 1.12. You ready for this? And it came about at that time... Oh, it will come about at that time that I, this is the Lord speaking, I will search Jerusalem with lamps and I will punish the men who are stagnant in spirit. Now, if I stop right there and if that's all the Lord said, you know, that would be kind of sobering. You go, oh, the Lord doesn't like people who are stagnant in spirit. Well, wait a minute. How do you know? How do you know if you qualify? How do you know if you are stagnant in spirit? Well, I haven't finished the verse. You keep reading, it says, Those who say in their hearts, Eh, the Lord will not do good or evil. How do you know if you've become stagnant in spirit? You say, you can pray if you want, but this is not going to affect the Lord. He doesn't do anything about it. And the Lord says, He's going to come with a lamp. And He's going to search. And He's going to find the people, the men and the women who have basically disbelieved that He is a God of power. 
that he won't do anything. Like he used to. Oh yeah, back in creation, back in the Old Testament, all those big miracles. And the days of Jesus and walking on water, multiplying bread and fish. Yeah, yeah, he used to do all those. And in the days of the early church, yeah, he did lots of things. But you know, since then, he's kind of gotten tired. Have you ever seen a business put up a sign? Get the, get the merchandise by 8 o'clock tonight because we're going out of business. They're going to close the doors. Everything's on sale. Has God ever put up a sign going out of business? Get your miracle before midnight tonight. After that, <laughs> I cannot find a verse in Scripture that says God ever had a going out of business sale. He is the God of power. But in some parts of overseas Christendom that I deal with, I have to bring their attention to something in Matthew chapter 7. And I kind of wish I didn't have to do this. Because quite frankly, these few verses make me shudder. You ready for this? This is Jesus talking. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, 22, and 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So, he's talking about people actually fulfill something. They function. They fulfill the works the Lord has them. Doing something for the Lord. Now, look at what follows. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Now, I don't know if that's a familiar phrase to you. But like if the Lord gives somebody a special message and they speak it out, that's a prophecy. Okay? So that sounds like doing something for the Lord. They are prophesying. And this person who's apparently being locked out of heaven, it does not understand. Wait a minute. I believed in the power of God. I, I received a prophecy. I spoke it. Read the next one. And in your name, cast out demons. Now, some of us get kind of nervous about that topic. You know, as if, well, maybe there's demons, but they're somewhere overseas. But you know something, folks? Demons are over here in America, too. All right? And it's just not going to do any good to stick your head in the sand and pretend that there's no demons around. They're here. All right? So if you're going to be willing to grow up about this, you can seek the Lord, read the rest of the Word of God, and you'll find out He's ready to give authority to believers that when the Lord clues you in that you're dealing with a demon, you can speak in the name of Jesus against that thing and stop it. Because the only thing a demon understands is holy authority. It's the only thing that you cannot... It, I'll put it this way. Sometimes we're trying to counsel people when you're not dealing with the person, you're dealing with the demon inside the person. Hello? And when you don't realize that and you keep trying to love the person and be patient with the person and counsel the person and speak truth and, and, and all like that and you wonder why things are not getting better. And I've learned across the years, we have been shooting ourselves in the foot because we've been unwilling to recognize sometimes what we're dealing with is there is a demon in the mix. Once the Lord clues you in, because He has to, you can't see them. They don't run around in red suits. Okay? If they did, oh, it'd be easy to know when there's a demon. They don't do that. Okay? But they come around, they'll sit on your shoulder, whisper ideas in your, in your mind. And we have got to learn to recognize there is demonic activity. But, hallelujah, for Christians, we have authority. We don't have to worry about that. Jesus is going to share His victory with us. And we can push those things back, push them away. And we can have relief and release from demonic oppression. All right? Well, here's people saying to Jesus, Hey, we've cast out demons in your name. 
And yet, why are we getting rejected? Third thing is, and in your name we perform many miracles. Verse 23, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. I never, what? You never. How is it Jesus doesn't know these people doing these things in his name, prophesying, casting out demons, working signs and wonders? I can tell you this, Romans 11 says, the gifts and the callings of the Lord are without repentance. Once he gives you a gift or a calling, he won't take it back. He'll take you back one day. But he won't take back a gift or a calling. And there's people running around because they used to be like close to the Lord, but now they've literally gotten away from Scripture. They're not close to Scripture. They don't know Scripture. They don't even teach and preach it. They're all into signs and wonders. They're all into the powerful stuff. The, everything. I've told Frank Gonzalez that I work with in Mexico from time to time that I am so frustrated trying to go to Mexico with him because it seems like all the Mexican church wants is signs and wonders. And I'm a teacher of the Word. And I'm trying to gather these pastors to pour the Word of God into them, to bless and help their ministries, help them to grow up, help them come into maturity. And it's so difficult to get a collection of them together. And I finally asked Frank one day, Frank, why is this so hard? You know what his answer was? He told me, Mexican pastors are not interested in learning anything. My reply to him was this, well, that may be the case, but I don't think Jesus is going to rewrite the Great Commission to satisfy Mexico. Because the last part says, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Teaching is a part of the Great Commission work. And that has to go on. And when it doesn't, you end up... There's an island of Indonesia, west of Sumatra. And they didn't know World War was going on the other side of the world. But back around 1916, the Lord just decided to do something that was like a replay of Acts chapter 2. I mean, poured out the Holy Spirit. Signs and wonders happened. People were, uh, they said even the people from the dead. Dead, dead, dead people were raised from the dead. Okay? Ever since then, they called it the weeping revival. There was always so much crying going on. So then I was learning this story in 1986, my first year overseas, 30 years ago. So I asked the pastor, tell him about Neos. I said, so what's Neos like today, 70 years later? He said, oh, well, now the deacons are getting drunk on Saturday nights before church on Sunday. And now the people come to church wearing their gemots. A gemot is like a, a good luck charm, they, they think, from their animistic background to drive away evil spirits. You know, or attract good luck to come your way, that kind of stuff. And they wear these to church. They're not wearing a cross, they wear a gemot. The church, you know, after I heard, my heart just kept sinking, the more he kept describing how deplorable the churches were over in Neos. And I said, why in the world did it degenerate like that? Why did it become so pitiful? Are you ready for his answer? He said, no good teaching. Nobody was teaching the word of God while all the signs and wonders going on. So when the signs and wonders backed off, see, signs and wonders generate emotion. It's exciting to see signs and wonders happen. But if you try to have maturity based on emotion, you will stay a little child. Because that's all we start with when we come out of the womb. You know how babies cry in China? Yeah. You know how they cry in America? Yeah. All the babies speak the same language. Okay, So they only come out full of emotion and negative emotion at that. And we wrap the kid and hold him. It's okay. And we talk to him sweetly and all like that, you know. Because now we want the kid to experience some positive emotion. But the way we measure maturity for children growing up is not in the area of their emotion. It's in their mind. They've got to learn. 
If you want to grow up as a Christian, you've got to become a person of the Scriptures. Not just give a compliment. You know, the bulletin. Was it in the back of the bulletin? Somewhere, I see. Yeah, you got this stuff here about what this church stands for, what this church believes. Great, I read it over. Yeah, it's good stuff, good stuff. And, and the, let me see, one, two, three, four, five, the fifth one. No, not the fifth. Where is it? Something about the Bible. Yeah, second one. God has revealed Himself fully and decisively in the Holy Scripture. We believe the Bible, consistent of the Old and New Testament, to be in. Here we go. They're the complementary words. The Bible is inspired, infallible, and authoritative, and the authoritative Word of God and guide for faith and life. Right? See, and and there's other churches that will add more words than that. We keep coming up with ways to give compliments to God's book, and yet we're not reading God's book. Do you really think God is so interested in our compliments about His book if we ignore it? I have to be a man of the Word. And I can't reach a point and say, I've plateaued and I'm satisfied and that's it, there's nothing else for me. I have to guard against that. I have to stay hungry. I have to keep seeking the Lord. I have gone through the book, and I go through the book, and I keep going through it, and God willing, with my helper, as my helper, I will keep going through the book. Because I've got to have a conviction deep in my heart that every time I go through it again, there's something else He will show me I've never seen before. That there is a depth and a richness to God's Word. And if I want to get God's A+, I've got to do more than believe in signs and wonders. I've got to be more than someone who's all hyped up about the Holy Spirit and the anointing. That's one of those fad words in Christendom. The anointing, the anointing. Always, everything's anointed, you know. And I've seen and heard, quote, anointed ministries overseas, and they are like kindergartners when it comes to the knowledge of God's Word. They don't know it. They're not reading it. They don't care to study it. It's not important to them. And Jesus said there's going to be people locked out. There's only two destinations, folks. Huh? Would you like to get in? I want to get in. You want to get in? Who wants to get in? Okay, you want to get in? Then there's two things, not one, two things. We've got to be people of the Scriptures. We've got to grow in our understanding. We got, don't reject God's Word. Don't reject developing a godly habit of turning off the television, the cell phone, the internet. Get with a B-I-B-L-E and sit down in an undistracted time and place, and have some time with the Lord. You all know the fruit of the Spirit? A lot of people memorize that. Galatians 5, 22, 23. You know, you know i got to take off my glasses to do this little demonstration. You'll understand. But the fruit of the Spirit, there's nine of them, right? Okay. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I'm sorry, what was that? Yeah, self-control. Wait, what was that? Yeah, self-control. I, I didn't catch that. Self-control. Oh. Gee. Yeah, do we hear messages in church about love? Oh, yeah. What about joy? Mm-hmm. Peace? Yeah, we like that topic, too. How many messages have you heard? And a lot of you are not spring chickens. <laughs> Okay, 
I'm just being honest, right? I mean, I'm 61. I'm no longer spring chicken either, all right? So, how many of us who were born and raised in church? My dad's a pastor. I mean, when the doors open, I was there. Sunday school, youth meetings, service, you name it, special stuff. I was there. How many messages have people like us who were raised in church ever heard on self-control? And now we look at the ceiling. Yeah, I don't think so. I'm not perfect about this. If I was, my tummy wouldn't be this big. So me and the Lord are working on this. But by golly, I can testify about something. And my wife, she can be my backup witness about it. I've at least got enough self-control growing in my life now. And I'm not a legalist about where and when to have time with the, with the Lord. Okay, I'm not going to tell all you, okay, 5 a.m., you've got to set the alarm and be up. And No, I don't. Sometimes I'm very early with the Lord. Sometimes it's mid-morning. Sometimes it's right after lunch. Sometimes it's mid-afternoon. Sometimes late afternoon. Sometimes early. But I tell you what, I have reached a point where if I had a very uh, full day, very full. I mean, from the moment I got it, I had to run here and run there. You've had days like that. Lots of stuff on your to-do list. Go here, go there. And, and then it gets to be like, I don't know, 10, 30, 11, 11, 30. And I'll, and I'll say to myself, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I got up and then I, I... Wait, have I had any time today with my Lord? Oh, my. No, I haven't. Well, then it's time to turn off the TV. It's, I don't need now any... Because before I go to bed, I've got to have time with my Lord. I've at least got enough self-control going in my life that it's an extremely rare 24-hour period in my life when I don't have quiet time with my Lord. Extremely rare. Like maybe... One day out of the year. Okay? Not bragging. Or if I am, let me boast about the Lord. He's helped grow self-control enough in my life that I have pretty much daily time with Him. And it's not because it's just a duty. I've now got myself convinced I need this. I don't prosper spiritually without it. I am not prepared for the ministry and the calling He's given me in all these different people groups and nations and places He sends me, you know. I mean, a few years ago, a pastor in Oklahoma was going to introduce me before the service started. So he, he asked me a question. He'd never met me before. And he said, how many nations have you served in for the Lord? And I told him, I don't know. And he got mad at me. What do you mean you don't know? I, I, I kind of took a step. I said, well, I, I never thought it was important to count. You really want to know a number? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, hold on a sec. Give me a piece of paper. So I started working out, let's see, from Mexico down to Chile and over here in the Caribbean and over this, one in Europe and India and all these different ones in Southeast Asia and elsewhere. And I counted it all up and then I could give them an answer. And back then the answer was 31. So I've gone to 31 nations. And uh, now, uh, last year I've gone to Brunei, that made 32. America, you add that in, that's 33. And then uh, last month I was in Myanmar for the first time, now it's 34. So now I know the number. Okay? It's, by the way, it's not my goal to see how many country stamps I can get in my passport before going to heaven. Okay? I, I, I mean, I, I hope I'm obedient and go where and when the Lord wants me to, to wherever. Okay? 
But all the different kinds of people groups and cultures and customs and conditions of the churches and some have more maturity and some have less. Some are into miracles and have no word and some are all into word and they're so dry and legalistic and there's no liveliness, no, no love, no, no real fellowship or friendship in the body of Christ. And I have to face all these possible conditions like the umpteen jillion things that can go wrong with your car. And you've got to have a mechanic who knows what he's doing to fix all a variety of problems. I wish I could tell you I'm smart enough to know how to do all that. I'm not really. I'm a pretty simple guy. But I belong to somebody who knows the church in and out. Everywhere. Okay? So as long as I stay close to him, he will give me insight. He will show me what parts of his word need to be lifted up and applied in those places to help them come around and be a church that believes in the power of God and in understanding the scriptures more and more. Because that's the kind of church he wants to produce throughout the earth. Amen? Well, this is what you're doing for me when you're praying for me, remembering me, when you're giving generous gifts and offerings for all the needs and expenses that come up. We can't do what we do for the Lord for free. But I appreciate this church so much. You have known myself and known Ruth now for a number of years and, and uh, what the Lord has commissioned us to do. And I'm just grateful. I wish I could say every church the Lord has introduced me to was as consistent and faithful as First Congregational here uh, in their commitments and pledges. But they're not. But you are. You are. And I appreciate that very, very much. Because, you know, I have the bills keep coming every month. The bills keep coming, whether or not the givers give, but the bills keep coming, you know. And, and I, you, you've, been, you've been what we say about the Lord. The Lord is faithful. This church has been faithful. And I appreciate that very, very much. So I thank you. And I thank Pastor for the opportunity to serve you with God's Word today. Lord Jesus, we thank you for what you're speaking to us. Thank you for what you've said now today. Thank you, Lord, you will help us move towards the A+, that we will indeed believe in you and your power, your readiness and willingness to work signs and wonders in the earth, not only on a grand scale, but on a very personal and private basis as well. For each person here, you know what their needs are. And Lord, help us when we pray, that we do pray with conviction, we pray with expectation, we pray believing you're listening and you will do something for us. Thank you for this church, Lord. Thank you for the maturity you've brought about here. Thank you for their faithfulness to the commitments they have made. And Lord, we thank you for your word, how you have produced it through many men across a long time and delivered it into our hands in a language we can understand. Help us indeed not just carry it, not just complement it. Help us, Lord, to have the fruit of self-control in our lives, that we will daily come to you in your word, that you would teach us, that you would feed us, and we would indeed grow in our understanding of the scriptures. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.